This episode is thanks to Lilo Active. Active wear that looks good and feels amazing. Welcome to the Left of Field podcast with Danny Kavanagh. Roger, welcome to the Left of Field podcast. How are you going today? Not too bad at all. Thanks for having me on. No, I'm very excited to get to chat to you. Now, well, let's just dive straight into it. Our listeners might not know who you are, but you play a big role in maybe some sports that they've watched or some of their favourite athletes. So uh, why don't you tell people what your job is, basically? What do you do for a living? So basically, I, I run the Roger Fabry Speed Academy. I'm the obviously the CEO of that, and we have 17 coaches. And mainly what I do is make people faster for their particular sport. And most of the people that are the highest profile athletes, depending on it doesn't really matter what code, whether it be cricket, AFL, rugby league, rugby union, A-league soccer, most of the highest profile players, they train with me. Um, so I just train guys to get fast and be great at what they do and hopefully increase their price tag when people want to buy them. Now, that's something I think we all would like to be able to do, run fast. Let's take it back to the beginning then and find out how you got here. I mean, you had a successful career yourself as a runner. So tell me, Roger, what was your sporting story? Yeah, look, I, I was decent. I was handy. I was always very passionate about speed. Uh, and I never thought that this was going to be my career path. I sort of forced into the situation and really made something great out of a bad situation. And now I look back on things and think, you know, maybe I should have always directed myself being uh, in the industry as high performance or sport performance. I never thought it would be a successful business, just teaching a discipline where Unfortunately, track and field, which they train just as hard as all these professional players who play field sports, but they they just earn no money. I didn't actually think that I would be in a position to earn money and be successful just teaching a code that doesn't get rewarded in speed like track athletes. You know, it's like it's quite ironic. You know, I, I coach speed and really have to affiliate myself with teams who can afford to pay me to put food on the table, but I can't associate myself with track and field because there's no money in that sport, so it's quite ironic. Yeah, the one industry that probably needs you the most can't afford you. So if you can't do track and field, what mm-hmm. kind of industry did you turn to then to you know make it, to make yourself so successful to get sure. your name out there? Sure. So I, I understood. I, I live in New South Wales, so our premier sport is the NRL. So I understood very quickly that if I was going to make a go of this, I, had, I needed to make sure that I was associated with players in the NRL and – more in particular that the highest profile players because I'm not trying to be rude but nobody's really interested in guys that are just uh, the medium level athlete in the NRL and the highest profile ones are the ones that are going to bring you the highest attention and certainly the highest profile ones are the ones that can make differences in the game and suddenly the general public can see that the highest profile ones are getting faster then it's a very quantifiable commodity you know it's it's not like he looks like he's a better player or you know, with me, I don't have that luxury to be able to con the person. At the end of the day, you either are faster or not faster. And I was getting some great results and suddenly my name started to ticking around into all different codes and I was attracting the highest profile in all the codes and here I am now. So tell us, who are some of these high profile guys that you've worked with and how? what did you do with them and how did you get them sure. to be so successful? So look, if we look in the cricket code, you know, I, I, was, I worked with David Warner and then, you know, people were, were commenting 
many, many times on how quick he was in between the wickets in actual fact. I'll never forget the day he scored the his record. It was 400 off. I'm not sure. I can't remember where it was. But the, his opening batsman that was in with him, and, and I think Dave batted for about nine hours at that, at that period of time. And the, and the GPS that they had on him was saying that his speed never, even though it went over two days, it never actually got fatigued in the whole nine-hour period, which is a phenomenal effort when you're looking at backing up speed. And I remember the, the opening batsman, they got, got a really high opening partnership. And he, he said, you know what, I, I, I'm so glad I got out because I couldn't keep up with him. In between the wickets, it was ridiculous. I was like trying to bust my ass just trying to keep with him. So he started getting me a whole, whole heap of cricketers that were coming along. And then I worked with Jared Hayne and Sonny Bill. And then in the, in the rugby union, I worked with guys like Tom Wright, and then in the AFL, you know, I've worked with guys like Kurt Tippett, and, you know, who wasn't blessed with much speed, but improved quite a lot working underneath me. And I started getting a real good clientele in, in, in the AFL component as well, considering we only have two sides in this state anyhow. And one of the more high-profile ones, I guess, that people might have known you for is you helped Anthony Minicello. Can you tell me how did you, yeah, what did you he, do with him? He was actually the, at the very start. He was probably my very first high-profile footballer. He was a gold boot winner at that that year, and he had a hell of a lot of back problems. He couldn't keep on the on the footy field, and back surgeries, and he had anything that was actually available to him in the metal world. He actually tried, and with not much success. And somebody said to him, "You know, maybe you should just try this guy. I've heard of him, Roger Fabry, and see if anything's got to do with your running game. Whether it be coincidence or good management, uh, Anthony ended up playing the most games he's ever played in one year. That year underneath me, and ended up winning another Golden Boot Award. So it can't be much of a coincidence. And that really started the avalanche. You know, we started off with a little snowball, and then it, it turned into an avalanche. On the same note, I just I don't want people to be put into a false sense of security. I've been in the industry for a very, very long time, so it just didn't happen overnight. There was heaps and heaps of sessions that I had to do free of charge going down to the local football field, just trying to get my name out there. I didn't have the luxury of social media when I first started. I had to just grind my way around. I had to travel overseas to get listening to people to learn as much about speed as possible because there is no course you can actually do for speed. Australia weren't very dominant when in track and field when I was young, so I had to go around to listen to guys all around the world, pay my way there. You can't do them over a webinar like you have these luxuries here. So... It did take a big grind for me to get to where I was. It just didn't happen overnight. Whilst it looks like to the person, you know, oh, you know, he's, this guy's blessed. He gets to get work with the highest profile people. But forget about all the grinding I had to do to get to here before, I, before I, they came to me. Yeah, it sounds like you had to, you know, a lot of trial and error, I guess, along the way. Yeah, absolutely. Look, my, I haven't got a unique technique. The coaching, when you have a look at running mechanics, it's not a sophisticated movement. You know, everybody can run, whether you can run slow or run fast, the whole world can run. Not everybody in the world can swim, not, not everybody in the world can do many disciplines, but one thing that we have universally in common, everybody can run. So what it is to be able to do is to make sure that you do the basic things brilliant. Pay attention to very small detail. Yes, I have a very trained eye. I've been in the industry for a very long time. And mechanics does place a huge importance on how much speed development you can get. You are either born fast or, or born slow. That is true. When I lecture about speed, I speak about that with, with venom. But you can always be faster. And your job is to just try and be the best version, the fastest version of yourself. 
as I said, it's not a very complicated movement, but it must be done correctly to get the best result. So then for someone out there that's listening to this right now, what would be some I yeah. get very, I know everyone's individual and everyone's style and, you know, nuances in how they run would be unique, but yeah. what would be some general tips that you would well, kind of I'm look not, at like, for people? Well, one, one of the things that gets overlooked, unfortunately, with, especially when it comes to field athletes, and I wouldn't get overlooked with track athletes or track coaches, but the importance of arms, you know, the arms are very, very important. When it, it's, a, it's probably the only useful tool, I mean, one of the tools that you actually can control. While your legs are either, you know, as I said to you, either born fast or not and very dominant, uh, very predominantly used by genetics. So if you have good genetics, you're going to have probably have good leg speed. But arm speed is something that everybody can control. And arm speed is an area that gets overlooked in, in field playing athletes very strongly mm-hmm. and just teaching them how to coordinate their arms and legs together. And, you know, if, if I tried to talk to you, you know, I'd only, I'd only confuse you, but let's just keep it into a broad category. Just understanding how to get them to synchronize. You'd be surprised how much improvement you just get out of that understanding. It sounds, it sounds simple when you say it like that, but it, I guess everyone yeah. would be so different when you watch them and little oh, like, adjustments would help so much. Yeah. And it, it exactly, and that's exactly, you couldn't have hit it any better than you're like, the subtle adjustments make a significant difference. But you'd be surprised, while I say there is, the whole world can run, as you know, this is what I do for a living, you would be surprised how many different running styles I actually see. It's hilarious. And that means your, I guess your advice would have to be different for everyone. Absolutely. So, you know, most people that have been conditioned to having software that's been ingrained in them for a very long period of time, it's a very difficult task for me to re-erase that software and then reprogram the computer to perform efficiently and effectively. People that are young, or and that's a lot easier. People, you know, young kids working with great mechanics, like, again, I'll, I'll keep referring to my two superstars that really started me off as well, is Jared Hayne and Sonny Bill Williams. I had them when they were very young kids, and those guys working with great mechanics the whole time in their young ages when they were... T- transgressed into their teenagers or the young adults, that transition was a lot easier than a person that comes to me like Josh Adokar, who's probably regarded one of the fastest guys in the NRL right now, who's been running a certain way for a long period of time. I have to re-erase that software, reprogram it all over again. It is a difficult task. Yeah, it's the habits I guess people have picked up over time. It's really hard to break. Absolutely. And so then we've mentioned all these, you know, great superstars that you helped. Has there ever been, sure. you know, the, what are the lows? Has there ever been someone you haven't been able to assist? Well, I mean, everybody will always get faster. And certainly I think the answer to your question would be, there'd be, there'd be there's a lot of athletes that I haven't got as good a result as I have with others. And at the end of the day, that's just sport. And if you can't handle, you know, periods of time where, peri- where things are not going to be able to go your way, injury, sickness, this is just part of a sportsman's life, you know, and really these days, even if you can find a little bit of improvement, evolution has made the, the, the generation of, these, of the day right now so effective, so efficient, they're so big, so powerful, so strong. Every year I just see them getting better and better and better. So the small gains in actual fact are significant. And so... When, as a coach as well, there's always the pressure, I guess, is put on you if someone's not performing or not ag- yeah. are progressing, I guess, as quickly as, you know, a team might have liked. How do you handle yeah. that and what do you do then? 
in that situation? Well, again, and, that, and that's and that's really important. It's a really good question. I think that's one of the first things I do with the actual coaches of the teams to sit down and condition their expectations because if speed was so easy to grow, then the whole world would be fast. So it just doesn't work that way. So understand, and really, they'll be the first to admit that teams, they don't know how to coach speed. They haven't got the time to coach speed. There is so many skills acquisitions to a player that plays any sport, whether they've got to kick, kick a ball, catch a ball, pass a ball, tackle a player. So how much time can they have to they spend on speed? So the mentality of professional teams these days, they know they haven't got the time or, well, I'm all, I was going to say something else, but I'll leave it at that because I don't want to upset anybody, but they don't have the time to really coach speed. So what they do, they just go out of their way and pay top dollar for speed. And that's why the guys that have got speed usually you'll find they're in the highest price bracket when it's when it comes to their teams. And then so how much of speed then is a mental game? You know, is there a mental block that stops people, do you think, sometimes from reaching that speed? Well, it's not so much a mental block. I think teams are discouraged from heading their players to do external speed because it's a very high risk factor when it comes to injury. So the player, the teams are going to say, look, if you go and work with Roger or whoever it may be externally, that means not under the guidance or supervision of their own teams, and then something actually happens, I tear their hamstring and they spend six or seven weeks on the sideline, then that experiment doesn't work. And unless you know how to coach speed properly, then the risk factor is very high. So do you find many players tear their hamstrings? Do you get many accidents? Oh, well, you'd see it. I mean, you, you're, correct me if I'm wrong, you're located in WA, aren't you? So predominantly your sport is, you know, your, your sport is AFL, isn't it? It is, it is. Yeah. yeah. So I, I, I think I read a, a paper that was published not long ago. You guys are going to have one of the highest hamstring tear rates in, the, in all the games. So, yes, it's a, it happens a lot. When these guys are performing, you've got to understand, if my job is to get you to run a speed you've never run before, that's called speed development, right? If you get, a, if you get exposed to a speed that your body has felt before, that's called speed maintenance. Now, the risk factor for me to getting you to run a speed you've never run before, obviously your muscles aren't conditioned to cope with that because they've never felt that. So if unless it's done, unless it's programmed properly with efficient mechanics, then the muscle is not used to controlling that much force. What will happen? You tear a hamstring. And I guess it's writing a program together for an athlete. How long yeah. do you give yourself then to not, I guess, overstress the muscles? Question. That's a great question. Yeah, but still so if you came to me and said to me, look, I've only got two weeks in the off season, let's do some work. I'm going to say, listen, go away because all I'm going to do is lose. Mm-hmm. I would say, depending on how poor or how well the athlete is put together, if I get six weeks with you consistently, you should start seeing a change. Again, I want you to put that into perspective. Because if that's all it took to get fast, then the whole world will be fast. If you were talking about a track athlete and what is the length of time that I would need to get the athlete to perform at its high, at its best, I'm going to say eight months. Not an easy process. Better in their off-season to train them? Or do you pref- can you train someone I mean, I, during the only season? Time, no, I can only train them in the off-season because their load is very heavy. Um, I wouldn't, I, my reputation's also at risk as well. You know, they play a game and then they've been bashed up and whatever it may be and then they might come to me pre-fatigue. I don't know what they've been doing prior to coming with me or going to do after they see me. It is just I'm in a high-risk category. Again, if I hurt them, my reputation is useless. So, honestly, if I see athletes in season, 
I'm like walking on eggshells. All I want to do is get the session over and done with and walk out of there injury free. Are you always looking for the perfect pair of leggings? Well, I have the answer for you. It's Lilo Active. This Perth-based activewear brand is amazing. The fabrics are super soft, they're comfortable, they keep everything in place, they're really flattering and they have amazing colours. I love this brand and I wear them to squat in the gym or to go for runs. So if you want to give this brand a go for yourself, why not use the code LEFTERFIELD15 at checkout and uh, see what all the fuss is about. And yeah, how many times then would you in an off season if they're you know they're probably doing the clubs probably also given them some training you know schedules they need to That's follow? Right. Then how yeah. much on top of that do you add into their training? Do you try and see them well, three times a week, or is it dependent on each no, one? No, so it's very in, it's very individual, and most of the clubs actually don't let them do outside training in the off season, depending on the level of the athlete. If you're talking about park footballers who are not professional, then I might see them once or twice a week because the repercussions and no disrespect to them are not so severe. You know, if they hurt themselves and not on high salaries and they're not paying their playing, feeding their family, then the team's not heavily relying on them. But the teams that are in season and performing at the highest level, and when I say performing at the highest level, they're not like in the top three or four teams in the comp, then most of the times I'm nervous to take them because I, I can only lose. So, the answer to your question is I would see them if they're having a buy, if they're playing a low, a lower ranked team, or if they're willing to just take the risk on their own and not tell, not tell their club and uh, we can do it in private and the repercussions are not on me, I may entertain that as well. So you, have, so you do have C players who'd see you on the side, I guess, and not tell the club. It happens. No, but you've got to understand that they work very hard in the off season to build their speed. So they don't want to lose what they've built. So, you know, they're trying to come to me with some speed maintenance and that's really all I do work with in season is just speed maintenance drills. I can't work on speed development because as I said, the risk factor is high. So yeah, it happens quite a lot. The guys that come to see me in the off season, they don't get to address speed specific at training then they get frustrated. It's so a more, as you just said, before it's more of a mental thing it's like they want to make sure that they're creating that stimulus in their head that they're still addressing speed that they haven't lost all the speed that they've developed in the off season yeah and then so is there any particular are you aligned to a certain club at the moment or are you just seeing players yeah so what so used to be your first club was the roosters wasn't it yeah yeah and i used to be and i don't want to be anymore because simply because I have a reputation with so many of the players and a relationship with them now. And I don't want to ever be in a position where, again, as evolution and as teams are getting more and more, I'm saying protective of, of their own players, if you get subcontracted with a team, they more or likely want you to work with them exclusively. And I don't want that. I don't want to be in a position where I can't have to say to somebody, I'm sorry, I can't work with you because I'm exclusive to X, Y, Z. I suffer with mental health a lot and I like to be able to be there to support the players. Not so much, obviously, as an athletic coach, but I also want to be there to support them if they want to come and just talk to somebody about experiences. And I do have that unique relationship with a lot of players. And so when you're trying to man- manage, I guess, you know, your own mental health in this high-pressure environment and players, yeah. how do you? Yeah. what are some strategies that you do and you recommend to other people? What have you found along the way that helps you manage that stress and that pressure? Well, 
that's that's an area I, I feel I really specialize in, as I said, because I've suffered mental health all my life, and and it's been a constant battle for me. And I'm I work damn hard on my mental health and all the strategies, whether it be meditation or medication or whether it be cognitive thinking or therapy. Um, and I, you know, I'm 56. So I've made a lot of mistakes in my life, and I like to share the mistakes that I've made and how I've overcome them and what what things I can do to help me perform better and be in a much better mental health space. But again, it's like everything in life. And, you know, if people think that mental health is just something you've got to work on occasionally, well, that's the furthest from the truth. You need to be, it just, just like your physical preparation, your mental preparation has to be very similar. To me, because I suffer so badly with it, it's almost like a full-time job. So any time that I do have downtime, my downtime is to work on myself. And I share that with these guys. And these guys, as you just said, are in a high-pressure environment, always scrutinized for everything they do. The public has a different interpretation of everything they do. And you know, the way life has become these days, everything is taken out of context. If you look at somebody the wrong way, they misinterpret it. So it's very difficult. These guys are always under a microscope just to get away and be able to talk to somebody on who understands what they go through and maybe give them some tools that I use. I develop a different type of unique relationship with them. And if you get that relationship, you can break that barrier with them. Then I think that's the best part of being a great coach. Then they're going to perform better for you. Yeah. It's really, I think it probably inspires them as well. Seeing you come from it at that angle as well and share your story. Absolutely. I, I think, you know, if you can break down, you know, if somebody always asks me, you know, what's the difference? You can't honestly think that everybody, that every coach in the AFL speaking a different language or if you walk into a shed or a dressing room, the coach would be addressing their players very differently to anybody else. The game is the same. They all play the same game. I think the coaches would be able to get on a personal level and understand how to get the best out of each individual player. Then I think that's what makes them become great coaches. Just having that personal having a personable relationship with them, breaking it down and then having that respect and them wanting to perform for you. So is there any players at the moment now that you're working with that, you know, you're really, really excited to see out there and see yeah. perform and where they could go with their career? Sure. There's a guy that's, that I'm working with that's, got, that's just coming towards the end of a four-year doping ban, a guy called Bronson Sherry, who was a, was a scouted as going to be the next best thing. He's just about to come to the end of his suspension. And I've been working with him directly. He makes his return in September. And he's really starting to make the, the stopwatch that I'm using shake a bit. So I think that people are very excited. I, he's never going to lose his skills. He's born with those skills. You know, four years out of the game is going to be the only thing that can go against him. But he's certainly doing everything right to be able to come back bigger and better than he was before. Now you mentioned doping there and you kind of were caught up something like that in the Roosters. And that's kind of yeah. when your time came to an end. Is that something that you'd be able to, I guess, connect with him over? Your experience there? Sure. Again, as a, I made plenty of mistakes in my life and um, that was had nothing at, at all to do with me and I was just thrown into the middle of a of guys using some prescription drugs and, and that really, really affected me a lot and really made that, when I say that, really forced my hand to be able to do this professionally because I lost my working job over that and it was a very difficult part in my life. I had to rebuild myself completely and I think a lot of play, players can resonate with that. Because that story in New South Wales is a very common knowledge. Most people know me for that. So that was just the fact that a pl- you know a player got caught and you were almost blamed for not being a, an accessory to the 
to the act? Well, I was, yeah, I was because I, I, as I said to you before, I, I form a very strong relationship with all the players so they can perform with me very well. So they almost were trying to use me as a caretaker role and saying, you know, well, these boys were with you. I don't know what they were doing after when I leave. So I should have been responsible for them to make sure that stuff like that didn't happen. I'm like, well, I'm a speed coach. I'm not a detective mm-hmm. and I'm not their parents. I don't know. I can't watch them 24-7. And my role was terminated because of that. You going? You never decided after that that you wanted to go back to a club because of that No, reason? I went back to a club after that. Penrith picked me up. And then after that, I went to the Sharks. But honestly, I, for, it's very difficult to uh, – there's a lot of – politics when you're working with a club a lot and if you suffer like I do it used to drive me crazy I just couldn't do I couldn't deal with it and now I can just run my own gig I can say who I want they can come to me I don't have to be dictated by anybody else and my life is a hell of a lot better at the end of the day I don't give a shit about how much money I earn it's the end of the day if I'm mentally in a good place well that's worth trillions of dollars yeah, I agree. And so you mentioned that you get to pick who you want. Who would you want? Who's who's someone out there that you'd go, if I could get my hands on you, get you on a track with well, a stopwatch? Somebody else, asked, yeah, somebody else asked me the same question. Yeah, I, I don't want to say, I hope this doesn't sound big-headed, but everybody in this country that I've wanted to get, and please, I'm naive when it comes to you. <laughs> so if you're, a lot of your listeners are AFL background, I'm, it's not one of my fortes, but everybody that I've wanted to work with in this country, I've been blessed to be able to do that already. That's pretty good. So then what, you head to America? Yeah. Where would you like to head then? Yeah, I went, I, I, so yeah, I've been to America. So I I did three stints in America. I worked with the Dallas Cowboys. I was the very first uh, speed coach from a different country employed by a team in the USA. So that's one of the things that I hold high on my resume. Very I was impressive. working, I worked there. Yeah, thank you. Uh, but again, that took a lot of long time. I used to go year after year. So, like I said to you, I didn't have the, the knowledge, uh, the preview of being able to get onto the internet or social media wasn't around in those days. So for me to get educated, I had to go overseas. I've already said that to you. So at the same time, I also recognize that I need to hang around with field playing athletes. So I wanted to learn about movement patterns in the NFL. So I drove coaches berserk. I'd turn up every year for 16 years straight. I didn't give a shit if they said no. And I kept turning up and asked them just to give me an opportunity. And I started off filling up uh, water bottles. And then look where you ended up. So it paid off, yeah. didn't it? It certainly did. And so the last question then for you, one you've sure. probably heard a lot, who is the fastest player in an NRL? Well, right now it's a guy called Jason Saab. And, no, and that's, there's no dispute about that. He like, as I said, it's a quantifiable commodity. I train all of them. I know he is the fastest in the NRL. Well, there we go. Heard it there. Full stop. No more discussion on that one. <laughs> Absolutely not. Well, thank you, Roger. It was very interesting getting to hear all about that. I'm very intrigued. I'm going to be looking out for your players now and see who out there, you know, has been trained by you and, yeah, follow their follow their career. But, I'm yeah, thank you so much for sharing your oh, story. Yeah, you're welcome. And hopefully if you ever come to New South Wales, make sure you hook me up. Oh, I will. You can train me. Why not? <laughs> I look forward to it. Take care. Thanks for the call. Thank you.